Why do women need to negotiate more now than before? And why is it good news that women can begin to discover their strengths as negotiators? Recent changes in workplace culture are making it essential for women to exercise far more control over their careers than in the past. The rise of internet commerce, ongoing changes in the roles women play at home force them to manage a clamor of conflicting commitments in their lives. In the midst of so much rapid-fire professional and personal change, negotiation is no longer optional. It's becoming a basic survival skill. We are joined today by authors Linda Babcock and Sara Loschever to discuss their research revealed in their book, Women Don't Ask, Negotiation and the Gender Divide. In part two of our interview with authors Linda Babcock and Sara Loschever, Sara shares how to be better prepared for negotiating salaries, resources for determining your market value, and how goal setting impacts negotiation. Do you think women are uncomfortable with negotiation because they don't know how to ask or they're afraid of being told no? Well, it's actually both. <laughs> women um, don't feel confident negotiating. They don't have much experience growing up. We tend to expect girls to wait to be offered things, to be invited to do things. And so women reach adults and thinking, is it okay? Is that something you do? Um, so they don't feel like they're good at it. They are, they are definitely afraid of being told no. And then also know that they risk backlash if they come off seeming too aggressive. Um, and in, you know, both men and women uh, research shows don't like other women, don't like women whom they perceive to be too aggressive. We do typically construe negotiation as a more aggressive form of interaction. So women worry about that. They also are afraid that their anxiety about negotiation or a strong pushback response from the other side might make them lose their composure. So not sure what it's okay to ask for, so they won't get that uh, pushback. Afraid maybe they'll feel ridiculous if they ask for too much. And significantly, women are also afraid of damaging their relationships with the people on the other side of the table. They think if I ask for too much, if I push them to give me something they don't want to give me or let me do something uh, they haven't thought about letting me do, that that will damage the relationship. They'll like me less or they'll uh, judge me harshly. Where men are more likely to think it's just business. This is the professional thing to do at this point. This is uh, you know what I've done. This is what I want. Uh, women more likely to think it's also personal and that we're you know, trained raised to protect personal relationships to a greater degree than men are. Okay. One of the tactics that you share on how women can be better prepared for negotiating their salary is to do market research. And I would love for you to share with our listeners, how do we go about doing this? Share some resources that are out there that can help women in this effort. Yeah, well, I just want to say this is enormously important. Um, women, when they do not do their research, when they don't know you know, what they should ask for, tend to price themselves, tend to ask for too little. Um, and uh, there's lots of interesting research that when women have no guideposts, no, um, you know, no information about what other people are asking for, what's appropriate or fair, they tend to aim too low. Um, so, yes, must do that research. And, of course, you can start with your social professional networks, asking people what they think somebody at your level with your accomplishments, skills, talents should be asking for, what the range is, 
can ask people to talk about their own personal negotiations, what they felt was really significant and useful that helped them get ahead, get you know where they are that you want to go. Also, a lot of resources online, lots of um, you know just general job sites like uh, you know Monster.com. And uh, then there's good information about salary in particular. So Payscale is a very good resource. Salary.com is good. A lot of professional associations have information about what people are earning in, in, you know, in that field, often broken out by specific uh, job title. And also uh, many of these sites can give you region-specific information if you put in your zip code because, of course, what you would get paid to do something in New York City is probably different from what you would get paid in Omaha or, uh, you know, some more rural or, uh, you know, less central location, less central region. Um, if you want to just learn a little about what it's like to work in a particular place, Glassdoor is a great site because it, people go on and post information about what it's like uh, at their organizations and whether they're, for example, good places for women to get ahead and ask for what they want. Um, other things, there are sites that are particularly devoted to women. So Career Women is one of those. Women's Job List is a good site. Advancing Women is a good site. And, you know, last but not least, uh, think about the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The government um, website has a tremendous amount of information broken down by field, by, uh, by uh, position, and, uh, again, uh, by, you know, by exact level. So those are all useful resources. And, you know, whatever field you're in, do some, do some clever Googling, and uh, you might find things I haven't thought of. That's great. Really good information. I, I found it interesting that when we think of salary expectations, um, that we automatically think of women-to-women salaries. And you suggest in, your, in the book that women need to seek out information about their professional peers of both sexes. Yes, this is really important. Women need to compare themselves to other people with comparable credentials, accomplishments, track records. Um, and the higher women rise in the ranks of their professions, as women at those levels become scarcer, women need to compare themselves to their male peers. And that is not a reflex for women. We're not always so comfortable with that. There are a couple of reasons for that. Interestingly, girls' games and the signals adults give children when they're playing together tend to communicate that it's not good for girls to be one up from their girl peers. You know, I win, you lose. Boys are much more comfortable with that. They play a game. I'm a winner, you're a loser. Maybe they tease each other, but they're they're comfortable going on. Uh, often when it looks like a girl is going to pull ahead, all the girls will agree to stop playing. Mm-hmm. So women grow up feeling a little uncomfortable, even perceiving themselves to be on a much higher level than their women peers. And then, you know, there's the simple fact that we do tend to see ourselves reflected within our social group. And women tend to group with other women more than they do with other men. But it's really important that women compare themselves to the right as the right peers. And so how do we how do we break this cycle where we continue to teach our children th- that women are different than men? I mean, how do how do we stop this? Or how do we at you least mean, make some advances? Should we keep teaching <laughs> keep well, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of just kind of annotating the culture as it, you know, floods into kids' brains. So when a story uh, that you're reading or a movie or a television show seems to be signaling girls should wait to be asked, wait to be offered, shouldn't stick up for themselves or advocate for what they have earned and deserved.
go do things with our family or that doesn't seem fair and just kind of put it in girls minds as they as they grow up that it really is okay um, now, Linda uh, developed a, a website, uh, which is called Progress, which is to help the women and girls feel more comfortable negotiating for themselves. And she developed some tools, some uh, like a game, um, I think it's a computer game girls can play in which negotiating is the only way they're going to get to the next level and the next level and win. There's a badge that uh, they developed for the Girl Scouts. Uh, so, you know, girls have to practice a few things, go out and learn some fundamentals of negotiating in order to get that badge. So, uh, you know, th- those are good starting points. The behavior you model to your daughters uh, is, is really important. And, uh, you know, just really basic things like boys are more typically paid for their chores than girls are. Mm-hmm. Dad will say, you know, if you, whatever, shovel the snow, I'll give you 10 bucks. Or mom will say, if you rake all those leaves this weekend, I'll give you, you know, whatever, $10, $15, $20. Well, girls tend to do more home-focused, family-caring chores, you know, taking care of younger siblings, helping mom take care of the house and the family, and don't get paid for them. Hmm. And so boys learn that they work for money, and they can even say, wow, all those leaves, mom, <laughs> can I get a little bit right. more? Right, um, right. Well, girls learn that they work for love, which we all know doesn't pay nearly as well. So if we just say, okay, everybody gets, you know, rewarded comparably for what, you know, for what they're doing, that's, um, that's a good place to start even in our own families. And, you know, if you're really committed to it, you can go a little bit further. I, uh, I have a couple of boys and they're almost grown now, but when they were little, of course, I used to hire babysitters. And as a little experiment, I would say, okay, so what do you want to be paid? And the girls would always say, oh, just pay me whatever you think is fair. Well, the boys, and of course I tried to get boys because I had boys, would say, oh, I'd like $10 an hour. I'd like $12 an hour. Um, even though the girls probably had more babysitting experience, a lot of them had younger siblings they'd taken care of, had, you know, taken Girl Scout babysitting training or, you know, town-focused, town-based uh, babysitting training. Nobody ever said, oh, yeah, I worked as a camp counselor for five seasons or I, you know, whatever, have this, these qualifications. The girls would just say, me what you think is fair mm-hmm. so it's a, it was always a good opportunity for me to say so tell me you know how good are you what is your experience why do you think you it's not okay to say this is what I'm worth right and that's such an interesting thing that popped in my head when you said that you also entertained the idea of hiring male babysitters mm-hmm. I mean just that right there I'm thinking I would have never thought to hire a boy to babysit my kids. I, I just always think mm. of girls because girls are mm. much more nurturing and I don't know. And I don't think it necessarily. So that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, plenty of nurturing boys. And I have, I have boys and they both babysat. Yeah. You know, there are people in the street who like my kids and, you know, say, would you come over and watch our boys? And, you know, my kids really like kids too. And they'd have fun with them and keep them safe and, you know, read them stories and all the things a girl could do. Mm-hmm. So tell me um, this comment in the book. You, you've mentioned that how women focus too much on the bottom line. Tell us about the concepts mm-hmm. of targets and goal setting. Because, you know, a lot of women love to do goal setting. We may not necessarily follow through. We love all those beautiful, colorful journals with the colored pens, and we'll start with goal mm-hmm. setting, but we don't ever follow through. So how does how can we put in our heads that targets and goal setting will actually help us and impact our negotiation? Well, I would just like to say I think lots of women do follow through on some or many of their goals, 
But what they don't understand about uh, negotiating is that the target or the goal you take in, what you're hoping to get, what you're aiming for, there's a direct correlation between that and what you get. Men typically aim much higher than women do. There's one study that showed that men ask for 30% more than women do on average. And another study showed that if you ask for 30% more, you have a pretty good chance of getting 10% more. And that difference compounded over time, you know, through with Linda's calculus about how, you know, small differences early on can compound into large differences later in your career, that can make a big difference. And if you're doing it every time, of course, you know, the difference between what you might have been earning and what you are actually able to get uh, can be quite dramatic. Uh, so this is where the research piece comes in again. Women need to know what is appropriate and then need to aim for the top of the range. You need to think about what you'd be thrilled to get, not the minimum, the bottom line, what would be good enough for you to accept the job. Mm-hmm. If you focus on the bottom line, if you focus on, yeah, okay, this would be good enough, more likely to say, okay, great, thanks, and go home. You know, t- take less than you could get. So you leave value on the table. You don't get as much as, as you can. So do your research Find out what's appropriate, what's fair, what's like the market rate, wherever you live for what you're doing, and then aim for the top of the range. And be prepared to talk about why you think you, you know, qualify to, to get the top of the range. This is, this is what I've done. This is my experience. I led this initiative. I had this great idea. I brought in these valuable clients. I, you know, have excellent performance ratings, you know, whatever it is that uh, makes you special and distinctive. Um, be prepared to talk about that uh, in relation to your target while you're asking for more. Which is a good uh, segue into a question that I wanted to, or at least a comment that one of our readers posed on the website uh, on our Goodreads page. Is she said, mm-hmm. "I, um, I also this is by uh, from a reader named Mary. I also tend to be conflict." Averse. I look yeah. over my career and I realize that I put up with less than ideal situations and conditions, including salary, because I never asked questions. I was brought up to believe that you didn't toot your own horn. And as a result, I sold myself short. I've worked mainly in traditionally male dominated industries, construction and transit, and the inability for women to come together and share experiences, how they, such as how to share, negotiate salary and benefits hasn't helped. What do you say to Mary? Well, first I'll say she's in a real tough uh, field uh, to to do as well as the men do it. There are a lot of impediments to women in those fields. But let me make a couple of other comments. One is she said she tends to be conflict averse. And a lot of us are. Uh, women know that if we, you know, go to battle, if we, you know, defend ourselves strongly or, or you know, pose a very aggressive uh, whatever presentation, you know, make a very aggressive um, ask that people will react uh, negatively. But the thing is that it also, that that um, rests on a kind of uh, important, significant misunderstanding of what a negotiation is. Negotiation doesn't have to be a battle. It doesn't have to be a zero-sum game, a game, I get more, you get less. The best negotiations, in fact, are ones in which both parties take a more problem-solving approach. Okay, this is what I'm hoping for. This is what I'm bringing to the table. Tell me what your needs are. Let's see how I can um, help you with that. Let's see if we can uh, you know, make a nice exchange where I'm, uh, I'm solving some of your problems. You're giving me some of what I want. And that approach to negotiating, more problem-solving, uh, collaborative, actually produces better results for both sides. So if you 
learn. And our second book, Ask For, is a really good uh, resource for that. But, you know, go take a, a negotiating course if you live somewhere where there's a uh, good business school with an exec ed program. If you learn to take that more problem-solving approach, you may find that negotiations don't feel as fraught and, and uh, don't feel as conflict-ridden. Um, so that's good practice to have. Now, in a field that's really male-dominated, you might just get a blast back from whoever's on the other side. And then I think it's good to go, uh, go to asking questions. Why do you think you can't give me what I'm asking for? Why do you think that's not uh, appropriate or fair? Can you tell me what you do think would be appropriate and fair and explain why? And so you get into a conversation and you get a sense of what their, uh, you know, thoughts are, their constraints, their goals for the negotiation. And it's often possible then to brainstorm some solutions neither of you might have thought of that actually, as I said, are better for both sides. So, uh, you know, taking that different approach, which A, works much better for women because, again, we don't like aggressive women, but also women tend to be very good at. Women tend to be good at that listening, collaborating, sharing information, problem solving, less comfortable with a more uh, adversarial approach. Mm -hmm. Then I want to talk about her, Don't Toot My Own Horn. And this is a complicated area. Uh, Linda, actually, Linda Babcock has done uh, some fascinating research on bragging and likability. And so research shows that in order to be persuasive or influential, which is, of course, what you want to be in a negotiation, women need to be perceived as likable. Men need to make a good argument. These are the facts. This is, you know, what uh, what I've learned. This is why I'm justified in asking for what I want. Women need to have all that information, but they need to present it in a way that makes them seem likable. They need to conform to our expectations that women will be a little more you know, kind of socially adept and, and warmer and um, more engaged with the needs of the other side. Um, and when the women brag, when women their own horn, they actually are perceived as less likable. Uh, and that's a bit of a double bind because you want people to know what you've done in mm-hmm. order to justify why you should get what you're asking for, but you don't want to come off as bragging. So, you know, there it, it's tricky. You need to find ways to make sure that they know what you have accomplished without saying, do you know what I have done? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, bring some documentation. They may not know you won that prize. You, they may not have seen the uh, article where, that was, you know, written up in, in the local business press or in, uh, you know, on a professional association website. They may not uh, have your performance targets or the numbers for the account that you're managing in front of you. They may not have seen the accounts, you know, rave of Anything you can bring in, sort of, you know, physical data to demonstrate, rather than having to say, I'm great, um, but see what I've done will increase your odds of getting what you want or getting closer to what you want. So the data, the it, people really like data. Yes. And I think you mentioned something in the in the book that really kind of resonated with me was that managers want to know what their employees have accomplished. And I think you you'd even cited one um, interaction that an employee had with their manager that when they went to them and shared, this is my, this are the things that I've been working on and I've accomplished. And the manager was like, I'm so glad you told me that. And so that's a good reframe that we need to put in our heads that we're just sharing. We're just sharing what, what right. we've been working on and what we're proud of. And it doesn't have to be that you're bragging. Yes. And, you know, another way to think about it is your manager can manage you better, can do a better job at his or her job if they know 
as much as they can, as much as possible about what you're good at and also what your goals are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to make the most of your talents, and uh, to do that, they need to know what you need to be most productive. So if you think of them more as an ally, and you say, all right, so what do I need to do to supplement these great things I've already done um, in order to get where I want to go, you might get a more constructive response. The other thing I want to say is that, um, you know, and there's a lot of research, and uh, do, people do a lot of writing talking about brand management, managing your personal brand. And that is basically letting people know more widely than just, you know, the person in the desk next to you, who you are and what it is that you're good at. And there's one uh, one piece of data, one uh, anecdote, or I don't know, it's more than anecdote, uh, uh, that comes out of that research, which is that when men run into each other informally, say on the elevator or at the water cooler or the coffee machine, they tend to talk about what they're working on. Hey, I, you know, I got this great client or... Um, I placed this paper in this prestigious journal or whatever, my numbers this year, you know, off the charts. Women tend to talk about their children, their personal lives, um, more, you know, interpersonal types of uh, reports. So taking advantage of those informal opportunities to let people know what you're working on without bragging, just, you know, wow, I'm so excited such and such happened. Um, is a good way to do that without, um, you know, having to go into the negotiation and say, I'm really great, give me what I want. Mm -hmm. Okay, so one question I wanted to, or comment that from Heather on our Goodreads side is, I have been frustrated with superiors forgetting, and she puts forgetting in quotes, that I'm interested in being promoted. On numerous occasions, I have spoken with superiors about my hope to work in an administrative capacity. However, when positions arise, they seem to select a candidate without considering me. Getting face time with higher higher administration can be very challenging. And when I am told, you're such a great teacher, I don't think this switch would be right for you. I feel that my easygoing nature, age, and gender cause people to dismiss me as a serious candidate. Oh, okay, so uh, yeah, this is this is a tricky situation. But I, one thing that I recommend, I don't know if um, what did you say her name was? Heather. 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 Sorry, I don't know if Heather has tried this, but every time she has that conversation with a manager, when she does get to have that FaceTime, just want you to know, I'm really interested in administration. This is you know why this is you know my my long term plan or what I see going forward. She should follow up immediately with an email. Just want to confirm what we talked about. Okay. Really great to have. A uh, you know whatever a virtual paper trail about these conversations. That's a great and tip. As soon as she, you know, as soon as she, I mean, always any of these conversations, any more informal negotiations, you know, that are more like handshake agreements, follow it up with an email. You always want some documentation because people forget things inadvertently or strategically or whatever. But you know, people may not remember what you talked about. And also, they may just misremember or interpret differently what you agreed. We have lots of uh, exercises we do when we're training negotiators. Um, you know, do this little paired role play and then go home and write up what you think you agreed to. And you'd be surprised how often people come in and what they think they agreed to is different. Mm-hmm. So really good to follow up with the, uh, with the email. And then as soon as she hears of a job, um, you know, that's being posted or, or advertised or vacated, she should, kind of, you know, follow up. Say, remember the conversation we had, and you know, attach the email or put put in the day. I'm really keen on this job. Don't wait for them to pick somebody else. Indicate immediately. I'd love to be considered. 
Those are great tips. Some people, they're, not, they're not purposely neglecting you. They just, their thought patterns go in a certain way, and they often will make uh, the easier choice. Or they'll offer to the last person who walked in the room and said, hey, you know, what have you got for me? Right. Uh, without thinking, oh, Heather might actually also be interested in that. So one, um, I, I wait, I... I wish it hadn't been toward the end of the book because, but it, it was great that I guess it did because it helped to kind of put a period on everything is that you mentioned that women have some big advantages that outshine men. And can you share what those are? Well, I already talked about them a little bit, which is that women take this more collaborative problem solving approach and decades, four decades of negotiation research have shown that that is in fact a superior approach when people share more information, talk more about their interests, their goals, their needs, their, uh, their constraints, and try to work together to produce an agreement that you know, gets both sides much of what they want instead of one side wins, the other side loses, that it really is not just good for both sides right then, but it is good for establishing long, healthy uh, thriving you know, business relationships and a bit good business culture. So women are really good at that, and so much so that often, you know, people who teach negotiation, we joke that the goal of any negotiation course is to teach uh, everybody to negotiate like a woman. So, mm. yeah, women are good at it, and women need to own that. They need to not think, oh, this is the weak way to do it. I need to come on strong. I need to negotiate like a man, because not only is that not the best approach, but it doesn't work that well for women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another advantage is women's social skills often make women better at reading the room, you know, figuring out what's going on with the person on the other side of the table. So, you know, take, take credit for that. The other thing I would say is women actually typically have great negotiating skills when they're negotiating on behalf of other people. So we know how to do it. We know how to, whatever, share information, ask questions, uh, figure things out. We just run into a lot of uh, trouble when it comes to negotiating for ourselves. So one thing that I recommend is think about, you know, what you would ask for and what advice you would give to your best friend, your colleague, whose work you admire, your sister, if they were in your situation. What would you tell them to ask for and how would you tell them to justify their ask? Because it's much easier for us as women to accurately evaluate what another person's work is worth and and not so easy for us to accurately evaluate what our own work is worth. Right. So that's a good little mental trick. Now I want to finish with your last, your, the follow-up book that you all wrote together, you and Linda Mm -hmm. wrote, Mm -hmm. women don't ask the high cost of avoiding negotiation and positive strategies for change. Is that, is that a book? Ask for it. It's, yeah, the first book is Women Don't Ask. Sorry to interrupt. The second book is Ask For It. Oh, it's Ask For how It. Women can, yeah, how women can use the uh, the power of negotiation to get what they really want. And so, tell me about um, that book. So, uh, so Ask For It is really a more kind of, uh, you know, hands-on how-to manual. Women Don't Ask, uh, the first book is social science. It is you know, written in an accessible style. I wrote it. Um, and there's lots of fascinating data in there and lots of great stories um, that many women identify with because they're similar to their own experiences. But there's not so much how-to. So we got a lot of feedback after the first book came out from women saying, I know I have this problem. I'm totally convinced, yes, this is me. Tell me what to do. So we wrote Ask For It to answer that that request. And it is a four-part program, lots of useful exercises, uh, lots of hands-on 
whatever stuff you can practice uh, to teach women how to negotiate in ways that feel comfortable to them, that feel natural in their voices, but that, you know, based on research and experience have been shown to work well for women. So it is the self-training manual. 